0: Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, but all possible. Find the obvious, buried in the absurd. Hold on to your friggin' lug nuts. Time for an overall. Back. welcome back welcome back glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth it is the coolest thing every Saturday morning I get to sit down turn on this microphone pull a few switches fire up the machines you know get the Canute uh, valve tied in and next thing you know old Jed's a millionaire and I get to talk to people all over the world it's fantastic full disclosure I have a uh, demolished bunt cake sitting here next to me there's a few remnants that are uh, scattered about on because it's sometimes you know I work in my studio so much that it becomes like a deli in here. Well last night it was like a bakery and now it's a, even better because I demolished this thing. I'll tell you where I got that bunt cake in just a few minutes and why I had it so early this morning. But uh, suffice to say tomorrow is Father's Day and uh you know I miss my dad. He's been gone since 2004 and uh it, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about him over the time that has elapsed between when he passed and today you know the things that i learned from him have become more prevalent and i think at least for me that's how it is for uh, for him is uh, you know being part of my life still even though he's physically not here and i can recall things that he said and you know, of course i have mementos here in my my studio of him you know he's a prolific bowler he used to say you know Football's easy and baseball's easy. They're not, but in his estimation, they were. But try and throw a 300 game. Not many people can do it. And he probably was onto something. My dad loved to bowl. And some of my fondest memories was in the, uh, probably back in the mid 80s, early to mid 80s. I was still in the Coast Guard at the time. And he talked me into joining him on the Wednesday night men's league at Irving Park Lanes in Chicago, which is long gone. It's a dollar store now, which is very, very sad. But uh, he he asked me to you know to bowl with him and I thought gosh you know wow uh, knowing how important bowling was to my pop uh, I I readily agreed even though I I didn't know how I was going to pull it off and Wednesday night was the late league we didn't start till nine o'clock at night I'm in bed at nine o'clock these days but uh, yeah we'd start at nine o'clock go till midnight twelve thirty something like that and we had a great time did it for five years I did it the last two years that I was in the service and I think the next three years after that or vice versa something like that but we had a great time and. I still have my dad's bowling ball uh, and, and you know they don't even make these balls anymore, it's polyurethane or something and I went bowling a, a few years ago and the guy's like, uh, where'd you get that antique at? But it's fitted just to my hand as it was fitted to his hand and there's still some old records in there from, from bowling days and who owed what money and who got so many strikes and who bought the beer frame which was always the fifth frame. I think I bought a few of those. Whoever had the low score in the fifth frame had to buy beers. And that's three games. So, you know, things got pretty interesting. But, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard for me not to uh, wish he was here and, and, and to be part of the things that I've had a chance to experience and some of the successes I've had, and to be there to talk about some of the failures I've had. I've not had that sounding board uh, for a very, very long time. And you know, the thing about my dad uh, that I guess was the biggest lesson is that where his shortcomings and faults were on full display it showed me how not to be, as was his greatness on display. The lessons he gave me are on both sides of the coin. And I think that's invaluable. At least it is for me. I've said this many times in, in interviews and podcasts, and I probably wrote about it in my books. You know, the moment I accepted my dad for who he was and not who I thought he should be, everything shifted. And that to me is, I, I held that in my own life. I've had my, enough of my own shortcomings that my kids have seen my, you know, the worst of me and the best of me. And to me, those are simply lessons in disguise to say, here's how you do it over here, here's not how you do it over here. And those type of things uh, I think are highly, highly valuable. At least they should be moving forward. And so I miss him, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of my mom and dad. It's, it's sitting about seven feet away over here at uh, on top of this Grundig stereo that's in my studio that they bought as a wedding gift in 1958 for like 100 bucks, 125 bucks, big cash and so i have these reminders of him all over the place but it surely doesn't substitute for the man himself and so that ties right into what i was doing last night and, and hoping i can mesh the two things uh that uh, actually there was three things yesterday and, and and this morning but um i'm a little scattered i was i was out a little late and that's what this is all about on some degree so yesterday was a 50th anniversary 50th reunion anniversary of the 1973 Belding Grammar School class. And this is a, a a milestone and a yard marker that I never really gave much thought to over the years. High school big deal, you know, we, we do this event pretty much every year for the last 10 years. We took this year off but we'll be back in 2024 called the Bulldog Bash. It's it's for my alumni sure high school. And, you know, by by the time you graduate high school, you're kind of almost a human, right? So, you know, you you probably have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, social interactions, you know, physically you've changed and all that kind of stuff. But when you go to grammar school, you're still just a kid, like a tadpole, right? You're not quite who you used to be. You're not quite who you're going to be. You're just kind of this in-between thing. And by the time you come out of high school, you're kind of on the way. But that little slice of time, eighth grade... uh, a lot of places called junior high it was eighth grade in our uh, you know time back in 1973 and so it was the 50th anniversary, 50th reunion year and there's never been a reunion of the class ever that I know of. And so my good friend Colleen, who was the mayor, back then we didn't have a class president we had the mayor <laughs> and she could have done a really good job as the real mayor of Chicago. so my my great and good friend Colleen, Reached out probably know, four, five, six months ago and says, "Do you realize it's fifty years?" I'm like, I'm trying not to think about it. But we uh, we all gathered last night in Chicago, and there was out of the sixty-two, roughly sixty-two um, classmates that that graduated. I know that we we figured out, or unfortunately, uh, came up with the number at least a dozen, if not fifteen, had passed away. That's a lot out of a class of, of sixty-two kids, and the rest of us are scattered to the to the far corners of the world. So a little bit of a daunting task to find people. And some people don't want to be found. And I get that too. I don't understand it, I mean I get it that they don't want to come, but I I enjoy these things. I like seeing people where they're at now and remembering where we were back then. And uh, every time I would come across someone who'd passed away, I would text Colleen and she's like, "Don't send me these anymore. It's still depressing." Which it is. It can be, that's for sure. But then the flip side of the coin is but I'm still here. Hate to say it, but you know I, I I haven't seen these people for half a century. It's sad that they're gone. Glad that they were here at the time. Wish they were still here, but that's not how it was for them. And so uh, we decided to put together the best effort possible to bring as many people as possible together. We had about twenty show up, and okay, so that's you know for not having done this ever, people showed up. We had a hell of a good time. Twenty of us, and um, to see my friends, again, some of them literally I haven't seen since 1973. It was just, it was jarring on one hand because there was a lot of, now who are you? And on the other hand, it didn't take long once they started talking or their mannerisms or something to go, oh yeah. And then you start taking a serious deep dive into Memory Pond. And we laughed four hours straight. And just that alone, just the laughter was, it, I mean, I woke up this morning feeling like, not 65 almost, but like 62. Talking about laughing, uh, it is the best medicine. And there's this guy that's been having me laugh for, God, since third grade, Tim Menzer. And I don't know what it is about men's. He's one of my best buddies all these years. And he's had my number dialed in, literally since third grade. I was at Lene School for kindergarten and first grade I don't have any memory of second grade, but I definitely remember in third grade because we had pictures out last night of all of us from back in the day. And uh, I don't know, you know, I think everybody has someone in their life that just busts them up. And Tim, (laughs) we shouldn't have sat together last night, but I'm really glad we did. And it takes about five minutes. You know, we stop being 60 year old dads and granddads and and professional people and all the rest that goes with uh, the titles that we carry over our lifetime. And we become third graders again. I <laughs> just think, I, I mean, just thinking about him, it's the kind of thing where he doesn't even have to say anything and just look at me and I'm gone. I'm toast. Stick a fork in me, I'm freaking done. So I think that is just so very, very important. It is in my life. I, I love the guy. More memories with men's. I'm telling you, it's a whole podcast in itself. So I was so glad to see him there last night. And somebody that we missed there in person, but we actually had on the phone was a guy named Ron Grabowski. And, and Ronnie G, we go back to the same deal, right? And I mentioned before about uh, graduation day. So it was a big deal. You graduate, you get all that stuff there, the picture with mom and dad and all that. And after that, there's a small party. And later that day, we we're going out to a friend of my dad's named Tom and and his wife Sue's house in Forest Park, which was quite a drive back then. Now it's like nothing, but back then it was the end of the world for a pool party. But after the the ceremony was done that day, Ronnie, myself, and I believe Kenny Cuffield, we all went to the Irving Park Theater to see a horror movie. Might've been Bruce DeKudris, I'm not really sure, but I know Ronnie and I were there. And Ron and I and Bruce were kind of uh, thick as thieves for a while. Ronnie. Pocket protector guy, smarter than all, all the whole class put together at some point, point. and um, we would draw cars in class and pass it around. So uh, Bruce, his dad was a transmission engine guy, and and he would draw all that, and Ronnie would draw the body and I always do the wheels. We pass this around; we we're supposed to in our work, but anyway, Ronnie's had a tough go of it the last few years with health uh, concerns, and he couldn't make it last night. But I, I asked him to call in, and he did. We passed the phone around, and you know. I can't begin to tell you how important these things are to people and myself i've mentioned it numerous times in this podcast and i don't want to overdo it but i also don't want to underdo it uh, these people are incredibly important to me because it represents the time before all this shit takes place for the most part and being with them again was just the elixir of life it just uh, it was just fantastic and i i gotta give great you know thanks and and praise to colleen who you know, pulled this together and had the balloons and she's the one that brought the bundt cake now she had these little bundt cakes made and uh, for the class of 1973 50 years and you had your chocolate chocolate chip you had your lemon and i think there was like a red cake uh, some kind which i took a pass on but this morning i couldn't wait to dig in so I got the coffee on had the bundt cake gets me a little revved up for the podcast inevitably somebody brought one of those lists of what the world was like 50 years ago, June of 1973. And so some of these things are great yard markers because if you think things are in the shitter now, and they are relative to the times, I suppose, you go back and look at it like when when OPEC, this was huge. I think the thing that was most memorable for me back in those days was the price of, of gas and oil. So gasoline was 40 cents a gallon in 1973. Man, you could fill up for five bucks. 40 cents a gallon. But in October of 73, this is where, in my opinion, and a lot of experts, where the oil dependency really started to take hold. So 1973, OPEC um, announced they will restrict the flow of crude oil to countries that were supporting Israel, of which the United States was one, which caused the price of oil almost overnight to increase by 200% which kicked off recessions around the world. So you talk about leverage. So, the Arab members of the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, as we know at OPEC, announced they're gonna restrict the flow if you supported Israel, and many of the uh, countries in Europe and the United States recession was uh, beginning to take hold, 200% overnight. So that uh, 40 cents a gallon gas jacked itself up almost like to buck sixty. unheard of. now you tell people you can get gas today for $1.60, you'd have them lined up to Kalamazoo and back. So kind of all relative. I remember reading something to the effect that if you take the prices of 1973 and you figure it for inflation to now, they're basically the same price. It's kind of held steady. It just doesn't look that way on a spreadsheet. So 40 cents a gallon was, um, was the average price of a gallon of gas. You could buy a new AMC Javelin car, which was pretty cool. I have friends of mine had a couple of those, for $2,900. A dozen eggs would cost you $0.45. Cents. A Ford Galaxy 500, top of the line, $3,800. You want to get a pound of pork roast? $0.59. Cents. Or maybe a Morton's TV dinner. A whole dinner? $0.36. Cents. You want a dozen eggs? It was a quarter. You could get two and a half pounds of peanut butter. For $0.69. If you want a mod wall clock, some sort of a great timepiece, that'll set you back $150. And the average cost of a new house was about thirty-two dollars and the average income per year was twelve nine. dollars Rent for a nice two-room apartment was $175. So you look at the times back then, and they were relative to that time. You roll this out now, people would think that uh, Jesus himself showed up again. The United States was beginning to end its involvement in Vietnam War after signing the Paris Peace Accords during January of 73. The agreement was signed between North Vietnam, South Vietnam, Viet Cong, and the United States. So after years, that was starting to wind down. I think it took another year to get everybody out of there. Secretariat was the first horse to, uh, since 1948 to win the Triple Crown. The Alaska Oil Pipeline Bill was passed, allowed construction of a pipeline to access oil from the north slope of Alaska. American Graffiti, the movie, uh, debuted. Now, I watched this this past week knowing that I'm going to this reunion I wanted to see what it was all about because I hadn't watched it for years. And it was okay. It wasn't great, but it made a lot of money. And there's a lot of people in there like uh, Ron Howard and Cindy Williams and Harrison Ford, you might have heard of him, that would go on to you know incredible careers. But it came out in 1973. And it was basically recounting 10 years earlier of a time in 1963. So this is before Vietnam and in that space after Korean War and World War II is over and when the boom had hit the country and everybody drove fast cars and had a good time. Uh, And it was okay. I mean, I, I remember seeing it years ago and I thought, wow, this is really great. And then you watch it when you're 65 and you go, eh, not so much. Roe versus Wade became the law of the land. That is no longer the case. Wounded Knee. Uh 200 Ogallala Lakota Native Americans and members of the American Indian Movement AIM uh began their occupation of Wounded Knee in South Dakota uh in 1973 and um it did not end well. The occupation lasted 71 days uh, during which they negotiated with US Marshals and exchanged regular gunfire with federal agents and may the group surrendered and government officials agreed to start investigations as demanded. Of course, um uh, it was a stand they took and felt they needed to take, and unfortunately, it did not change much. The dominoes were beginning to fall in, uh, in Washington, D.C. In 1973, Vice President Spiro Agnew, his name ring a bell? Uh, he resigned. He was the uh, vice president, as I said. Uh, he had been dealing with charges of tax evasion and receiving bribes prior to his resignation. After he left office, he pleaded no contest to the criminal charges and was fined and given probation. He was replaced by Gerald Ford, who less than a year later would become the president after Nixon resigned. And Spiro Agnew was the second U.S. vice president to resign, the first for criminal reasons. You look at what's going on today, and part of it is like, nothing new here, kids. That's why I think history is so important. Uh, it, it just, it, these things are yard markers to me that it's kind of always been this way, I think that it seems worse because we have so many outlets that say it's worse. So this was big news back then. I remember not so much when Agnew resigned, but I remember the look on my parents' face when Richard Nixon left office. A sitting president admitting, well, he really never admitted that I am not a crook. It's not a really good Richard Nixon, but it's early in the morning. Give me a break. But, uh, but he, he had to leave office because of the tapes and the Watergate thing. And now it's nothing compared to what's going on today. But it is still something for the time. It was a, it was a benchmark moment. I'll never forget the looks on their face. They were so disappointed in, in the system and in the man. And uh, that, was, uh, that was something that really stuck with me. Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs competed in the Battle of the Sexes exhibition tennis match. And um, of course she won. She said, if I had a loss, it would set the women's movement back 500 years. She was only 29 when she had won 10 Grand Slam titles. She was already a pioneer in uh, tennis. Bobby Riggs was 55 years old. And at one point, he was actually considered the best tennis player in the world. But she whacked him back into the Stone Age. And she took home the $100,000 prize. Over 30,000 spectators attended it. And estimated 90 million people watched the televised match worldwide. It was the most viewed tennis match in history. So when you look at these little indicators from a time that is now a half century later, you know, in the past five decades, things have changed so much, but they really haven't, in my opinion. The Bobby Riggs and the uh, Billie Jean King thing became a movie. I'm like, I ain't watching that. Why would I watch that when I already watched what happened 50 years ago? Those things make no sense to me. But so there's the slice of time uh, when I graduated from eighth grade, and these were the things that were moving on, and I'll never forget that graduation day. And there's a picture here uh, that I that I put up now and again. It's it's me in these horrible plaid jacket with, with a bow tie the size of a boat propeller, platform shoes, and white bell bottoms. And I have this ribbon on that's hanging on my my uh, lapel off my my jacket for as a graduation uh, kind of adornment. And my mom's on one side, my dad's on the other, and my dad was only 38 years old and my mom was only 36. And they they are young and they're healthy and they're vibrant. And I remember my dad had taken a half day off of work. That was a big deal. He was taking a half day off of work from the bank. He worked at uh, Six Corners, which was not far from uh, where we lived. He'd walk there and walk back every day. But before that, he worked at a place called Home Federal Savings and Loan Downtown Chicago. So last night at the reunion, one of the guys there, Eddie, comes up and says, hey, I got to ask, I have a client who is in in banking. And somehow my name came up. And she said, I think I used to work with a guy, you know, that worked in the banking. And sure enough, it was. They both worked at Home Federal Savings and Loan back in the day. So, you know, Chicago is a big place, but sometimes not so much. So all these little tentacles and tie-ins to me, uh, they, they, they generate memories in me and thoughts and podcasts. And I'm not always sure what to do with them. Sometimes I just sit and appreciate them. Like, wasn't that great? And even last night, having these people, some of them I've seen over the years and many of them I hadn't, it just, there's like a a big eraser board that comes out. And I don't feel like I'm pushing 65. I feel like I'm 14 going on 15. And I think that's the benefit. At least it is for me. And it apparently was for everybody else that was there last night to feel that way. You know, it's something as you grow older. At least it has for me that there's less things you you can experience that way because you've had such a long, uh, you know, time here on on the continuum. So finding things that make you feel 14 again, I think, are highly valuable. And so that's how it was like for me. And one of the guys came late, Jimmy, and he was the the captain of the patrol boys. He brought his patrol belt, and it was a whole art form to tie a patrol belt. So he, we had the orange belts. And if you were a patrol person, it was patrol boy back then. I'm sure it's patrol people now. Uh, we'd all have our corners. And Jimmy would have to, he was the captain. He was in charge. He was the ramrod. And he would go all around. Where There were probably, I don't know, six, eight, ten of us. And he would go and check to make sure we were on our corners. And check to make sure we had our belts on. And my corner, I think I had four kids that crossed it the whole time during the day. You'd have to be out there. If school started at nine. I think you had to be at the corner by, I don't know maybe 8:40 and you stayed till 8:50, 10 minutes at most. And there was a couple brothers, the Tuttle brothers, that would they came from the far western part of the edge of uh, our school boundary. And these two kids were from Virginia, I believe, or West Virginia. They were only there for a few years, but they were uh, they're indelibly marked in my mind because they wore the same clothes every day and dressed like twins, even though they weren't. And they had this uh, this great country demeanor about them and they again, they were only there for a short time. And I actually found one of the Tuttle brothers uh, that t- <laughs> on Facebook a few years ago. We went back and forth and he vaguely remembered me, but I sure remembered him. It's those things that are like, the, the that's the stuff in between the cracks of life that makes it all hold together for me. So I had a hell of a time last night. And it's the kind of thing there that I would have loved to come home this morning, pick up the phone and call my dad and say, Pop. Listen, we talked about all this stuff last night. You know, he was remembered so fondly by everybody in that room last night for being the guy that had the haunted house. And that makes me feel so good. I can't even begin to tell you uh, uh, how that is. You know, for 20-plus years, this is a guy who was a banker by day, became Dracula in September, October, and November, basically, of of every year. And in late August, early September, my cousins and friends would come over and... and uh, they start clearing out the basement. They drop a whole diagram, and they would spend two, three, four, five weeks building this maze in their ba- in my basement of our house. And my dad was the quintessential Dracula. He was a great combo of Bella Lugosi and Christopher Lee as two heroes. And for twenty plus years, as I said, people came to the house and got the shit scared out of them for a quarter. You know, long before all these major uh, Halloween things are such a big deal now. My dad was doing it in the basement of our home, and. People loved it, and he loved it, and they loved him, and he loved them as well. So to sit there last night on the eve of Father's Day, knowing how much I miss this guy, to hear people talk about, do you remember the time when this, and do you remember the time when that, do you remember, and your dad did this, and he, it really, really warmed me up. And and you know he's been gone, like I said, since 'o four, so it was quite a thing. The other thing that was quite a thing, which is very redundant, but so what? It's my show, was. Everybody there last night called me by my nickname, which is Butch. I don't know where the Butch thing came from. I don't think my dad was called that or any of the, the men before me. Somewhere it happened. I couldn't even begin to tell you. I never asked my dad or my mom where that came from. But I got to be Butch for about five hours last night. You know how special that is to me? Because that name is connected to that time. When I moved into high school, it became Augie. And so I have Augie and I have Butch, and then of course, you know, when I write books and everything, it's John and most people. But rare is it that I hear Butch as much as I heard it last night, and it just made me feel 14 again. Here we are back to that. So even just that name, and I was there's a couple of guys. Mark Diefenbacher was there. Everybody called him Diefy. We got to call him Diefy. Colleen, we call her Lolly. At least I do. And it goes on and on. And those things are like these deep tentacles and and connections to a simpler time in my mind. But as I just rattled off, it was as volatile in its time as our times are now. It's all about perspective. So I look at all this stuff and I think about, you know, how do I appreciate more moving forward? Got up this morning, the sun is out, the coffee is hot, the cat's fed. I had Bunt cake. I saw a lot of friends last night. I am a rich man. Wow. And I think, being appreciative of what you have and where you've been and the fact that you're still here means a lot. You know, there was a, at least 12, if not 15, as I said, uh, classmates we've lost over the years. somewhere many, many years ago. And I thought about them a couple times last night. You know, here we were, this kind of ragtag bunch of mid-60-year-olds, and a lot of them never got that far. And that's a perspective shift. That You know, I'm so fortunate. I woke up this morning thinking, I'm still here. That means something, that's a lot. And little things like that become big things because it's too easy to focus on the big things that you can do nothing about in the world, what's going on in the headlines for sure, and miss the little things. I think it should be the opposite. Look for those little tiny things that make your heart dance a little bit, make you feel like you're 14 years old again. Get ready to wrap this up. Um, uh, This ties right into 1973. It's also a way I can play some music without worrying about getting sued or at least infringing on copyright. Look, I I could play anything I want during these shows, but I can't. Meaning legally, without a music license, that's not what you do. And I've been in radio so long, I have deep appreciation for music and artists. And so I could play a little bit like, you know, 12 seconds of taking care of business and feel okay about it. It's not taking money out of the Bachman's pocket. But I would not play a full set of four songs of Frank Sinatra. Let's just put it that way. That's the difference. But I could play this guy's songs because he was a friend of mine. And in 1973, John Denver's greatest hits came out, sold like 12 million copies, it was a big deal. And I hadn't planned on this except that Thursday, Wednesday, was it Wednesday or Thursday? I think it was Wednesday. Uh, I went to the gym, had a really great workout and usually I get my hair cut in Chicago, but I wasn't gonna drive all the way in for that. And so I went to a guy who's not too far away from the gym and. Um, yeah, I figured instead of going to the, to the corporate clips place, I'm gonna give the money to the local guy. And I walk in and sit down and look, I don't have hair anymore, I have quills. So that's a different kind of haircut. It's not a real haircut, it's a trim. So I got there, it was, um, I don't know, one ten in the afternoon. I worked most of the day, took a break, to go to the gym, did a couple of things on errands and hit the, the barbershop. I have not been there since before COVID. I haven't been to this guy's place. There was one guy in the chair, but he was just finishing up this kid. And I thought, I remember when I had that much hair, kid. Just get ready for the, your, your time's coming. And uh, he says, hey, how you been? It's been a while. Yeah, this and he goes, well, listen, are you here for one thirty? I said, no, I'm just walking in. He goes, come on, I'll squeeze you in. I only have enough hair to cut. It takes 10 minutes, so no big deal. So he he does the haircut. As I'm sitting there, CNN is on, and they're talking about this whole thing with um, ticket fees for like Ticketmaster. And there's President Biden sitting at a table with a bunch of people from Ticketmaster and such. And he's reading off a paper about these ticket prices and hidden fees and things like that. And it's just, I don't know, I'm like, okay, well, that's good. I don't go to concerts, so it doesn't really affect me. But in some way, shape, or form, in in the whole of things, I'm sure that I pay for it somewhere. And so even though these ticket companies aren't actually doing anything legally by law saying, okay, we've passed a bill now to, you know, eradicate these hidden fees, they've agreed to some level of, um, we will make all our fees known. That doesn't mean they're still going to charge you. At least the fees will be known. At least it's Ticketmaster. But but that's not the main story here. That's just what I was looking at. When they finish, they, uh, they jump out to the coverage of the Denver Nuggets uh, winning the basketball championship. And of course, it's pandemonium and as it should be. You know, here in Chicago, we've had a lot of champions and you get to see the ticker trade parade and these guys up on stage act like they're 14 again, which is part of the deal and people going crazy. And they're all yelling and screaming. And there's a big overlay at the top of the screen. that says Denver wins. And I don't know the name of the CNN anchor. She, she's, you know, been there a long time. And I'm only half listening after the whole Joe Biden thing and looking at the Denver Nuggets thing. And she says, Hey, thanks for playing the John Denver on the way out. And sure enough, Rocky Mountain High comes up connected with a win in Denver. And it just tripped my trigger a little bit because I could remember again all the way back, I'm sure that song is older than the the anchor on CNN. And I kind of got a kick out of it knowing that there are people that still appreciate his music. And I think he would get a huge kick out of that, that it, it's on at it all anywhere, but it is, and it, and, it, and it should be. So I just felt it was a great way for me to, uh, to, to roll out of this. It's commemorating... The, uh, the championship win by the Denver Nuggets. But it was 1972 when this song came out, and in 73, by then, I had already been hooked into the thought that I'd love to live in Colorado. It was so much so to the fact that uh, my mom turned my bedroom into a Colorado cabin of sorts. I'll never forget coming home in eighth grade year, so from 72 into 73, uh, and my mom had put this whole wall mural up of the Rocky Mountains, it was like it was just the most incredible thing I'd ever. I walked in. She didn't tell me she was doing this. She did it all one day when I was in school. I walked into my room and she had like, uh, you know, stained my my, my dresser and and all the headboards and she did an incredible job. And my room had a pull down lamp that kind of looked like something would have been in a cabin anyway. And she built around all that. By this point, my dad had put up some paneling, which we, everybody had in the '70s, and then she took that wall. And it was this huge mural of the Rocky Mountains. And I can't begin to tell you how that made me feel. And years later, years, years, years later. So that would have been 20 years later. 20, 21, yeah, 1993, 94. So 21 years later, when I spoke at WinStar by John's request in Aspen, Colorado, and uh, my mom took full credit saying it's because I put that mural on the wall that all this happened with John Denver. And, I, and who's to say she's not right? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed a little bit of uh, rolling back to the 50-year reunion with me. And in your own life, think about how far you've come. Pick a date, pick a year, and think about how much has changed since that time. And that you're still here to be witness to it. And that the small things add up to big things. It's not the other way around. Big things never add up to small things. Small things always add up to big things. That's kind of how it works. So until next time, be well, safe travels, happy Father's Day keep the faith.
1: He was born in the summer of his 27th year, coming home to a place he'd never been before. Left yesterday behind him, you might say he was born again. Might say he found a key for every door When it first came to the mountains His life was far away On the road and hanging by a song But the string's already broken And he doesn't really care Keeps changing fast, it don't last for long the Colorado Rocky Mountain high. I've seen it rain and fire and the sky. The shadow from the starlight is softer than a lullaby. Rocky Mountain high, Rocky Mountain high. He climbed the cathedral mountains, saw silver clouds below, saw everything as far as you can see. And they say that he got crazy once and tried to touch the sun, and he lost a friend but kept his memory. Now he walks in quiet solitude, the forests and the streams, seeking grace in every step he takes. His side has turned inside himself to try and understand The serenity of a clear blue mountain lake And the Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain and fire in the sky You can talk to God and listen to the casual reply Rocky Mountain High Rocky Mountain High Now his life is full of wonder But his heart still knows some fear Of a simple thing he cannot comprehend Why they try to tear the mountains down To bring in a couple more More people, more scars upon the land The Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain and fire in the sky I know he'd be a poor man If he never saw an eagle fly Rocky Mountain High It's the Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain and fire in the sky Friends around a campfire, everybody's high. Rocky Mountain High, Rocky Mountain High, Rocky Mountain High, Rocky Mountain High. High.